Hey there, Conquerors. Welcome to episode 69 of Conquering Columbus. And today on the show, we have Mr. Kwame Christian. And without giving too much away, Kwame is a good friend of ours. He's a lawyer, runs his own podcast called Negotiate Anything. And he's also got a TEDx talk coming up at TEDx Dayton on October 20th. So you want to check any of those out. There will be some links in the show notes. We definitely encourage you to. Kwame is a good friend of ours, and uh, we think you guys are going to learn a lot from this episode. Before we get to that interview, though, guys, I want to take a moment and uh, ask you all for a quick favor. Go ahead, pick up that phone of yours you were listening to this on, and uh, check out your podcast app, whether it's iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, uh, whatever you like to listen on. Uh, there will be a subscribe button, and if you click that, it will make sure that you never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. And the last thing we want to do before we start the show is take the time to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with our friends over at AWH. For those of you who haven't heard of AWH, they are a digital product consulting, user experience, and software development firm. And with over 22 years of experience, AWH collaborates with a variety of clients to drive desired business outcomes through great digital products. To find out more, check out awh.net. And let them know Conquering Columbus sent you. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout the state. For more information, head on over to sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them is a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more or check out a free trial at gofmx.com. All right, Conkers, that's all we got. Let's get this show on the road. You could drop me anywhere on the planet, in any environment, and I might get, you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors. Welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. Uh, we're real excited for this episode today. We've got a good friend of ours, uh, Kwame Christian. And Kwame is a business lawyer and negotiation consultant. And he also runs a podcast called Negotiate Anything, which focuses on teaching people how to make difficult conversations easier while getting more of what you want out of the process. To top it all off, Kwame helped us build our operating agreement here at Conquering Columbus, and he's a great friend of us. Uh, welcome to Conquering Columbus, Kwame. Hey, thanks for having me. How's your, uh, how's your day going today? 
It's good. It's good. It's it's nice to be able to chill with friends instead of uh, going home and having to, you know, be enslaved by a baby. You know, so this this is a really nice way to top off the evening. Yeah, it's always fun. I always enjoy, you know, ending the evening with a quick conversation with people, especially friends, but anybody that we've interviewed on the podcast. It's always a lot of fun to talk to them, hear their stories. But uh, what you, know, you got a lot going on. Uh, you mentioned a baby a podcast, yes. a business, two businesses. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, what's a typical day look like for you right now? Man, I'm st- I'm still trying to figure out what a typical day is, really, because <laughs> things are just changing so much. So, um, back before the baby, I-, I was an early riser, so I'd like to get up in the morning, work out, like be at the gym at five, um, back home, showered, dressed, and like starting my day, like actually putting in substantive work at six, and then I could finish at five and be good. But now that I have the baby, I mean, he just dictates. Like, <laughs> I, I'm still trying to figure it out because it changes all the time. How old is it now? Uh, he's uh, two months old. Oh, sorry, two years old. Two years old. Two months, two years. I mean, you know, it's still a baby. Baby's a baby. <laughs> it goes see, fast. <laughs> exactly. You see, there's still some sleep deprivation happening. <laughs> but so, kind of the place to like kick it off is just we'll start with like your background and kind of talk about. Um, maybe your upbringing, going through college, and then we'll kick it off into what you got going on today. Cool. All right. So this is like a, a therapy session. Tell me about your childhood. Yeah, that's right. Game. Well, we don't quite put you back in the you know the laid down couch, but you start yeah. crying, Michael Huggy or something. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so I I grew up in Tiffin, Ohio. Um, and uh, for those of you that don't know Tiffin, uh, that's completely okay because there's not much to talk about. It would make um, sense. <laughs> yeah, that'd be, that'd be pretty normal. Um, but it was a cool was a small town. It was it was interesting growing up though. I was uh, the only one of the few black kids in in the in the town, in the, especially with my school. And then my family is from the Caribbean too. So up through college, I had a really strong accent. And then, you know, just slowly started to die as I started hanging out with more and more Americans. And then I got married to an American, so now I was like gone, unless I talked to family. But um, so went through um, growing up at, uh, in, in Tiffin, then came to OSU. Um, I, I chose Ohio State because I wanted to get a school that had a population that was bigger than Tiffin, which wasn't too hard, but OSU was the one that I picked. And it was a good choice. Poor reasoning, but a good choice. And so I, I majored in psychology, minored in Spanish and foundations of law, and um, I was the, the president of the tennis team, the club tennis team, not the real, not the real tennis team. <laughs> the club. I'm not varsity athletes like y'all. I'm not that serious, <laughs> not that serious. But um, it was a good time. And then OSU again for law school and a master of public policy, and then started the business, and here I am. So when you did your law school master of public policy, is that a double degree or how does that work? Yeah, it was a it was a dual degree. Did it at the same time, and so I, it's uh, there were a few classes that overlap, but it's still added to the schedule. Uh, but I still was able to finish in three years. A busy, busy, busy three years, but <laughs> still got through. Yeah, that'd be intense. How'd you juggle all that? Uh, with difficulty. <laughs> with difficulty and a lot of caffeine yeah you know it's uh you know what's funny about the caffeine though i was able to hold off on caffeine like through school and uh, even through the bar exam but the baby did it the, <laughs> the baby was the baby. last thing i was like broke the, the camel's that, back that was it caffeine i was like is there something stronger uh, but, um, <laughs> oh, but um but yeah it's uh it was tough but it i think the the really one of the most beneficial parts about doing uh, a a program that's so rigorous and time-consuming is the fact that it forces you to get better with your schedule. You can't just sit back and let stuff happen. Uh, So you had to be more intentional with what what you do and 
now, especially with all that's going on now, it doesn't feel as overwhelming because I've already had a lot of experience with a, with a rough schedule. You know, there's a couple of interesting concepts we've talked about, you know, with other guests in terms of like time management. And I, I think one of them is like, you find that what you have to do in a day, if you're really overloaded, tends to just find a way to fit in that schedule if it has to. And then another thing, like, I personally found, you know, if I have four hours to study for something, I'll find a way to make it take that four hours. But if I have two hours, you know, I got to get and kind of push your brain to like a next level, you know. Exactly. So when you kind of maximize that capacity, it's interesting kind of what you can accomplish. So, and then obviously you did it, you know, in, in the right way and you accomplished a lot during your time there. Um, what kind of happened after you graduated? And actually, maybe before we even get to that, I'm curious to know what motivated you throughout that process, you know, having your family um, move here from, you know, a, a different area and not really, you know, be from here. Is, is that kind of what motivated you to achieve more? Yeah. And what you'll see with a lot of foreign uh, folks, like foreign families, like first generation, is that they push their kids really far. Uh, really hard. And so my dad's a surgeon. My mom has a PhD in nutrition. So when I graduated, I knew I wasn't done when I graduated from undergrad. Um, and so they, they made it abundantly clear <laughs> to us growing up that there will be something after undergrad. So I knew I, I knew that it had to happen. They they tend to push for like doctor, lawyer, engineer, something like that. So I just picked the best one for me of the three. But what you're seeing now is that even though I'm doing the legal route, I'm customizing it to make it work for me, something that's in line with what I'm doing. So it's a blend, you're seeing a blend between like law, business, and the undergrad in psychology, because that's really my, my true passion. I love figuring out how, how people think and seeing the mind work and, see, have, and getting into negotiation and conflict resolution allows me to see, uh, it's like the physical manifestation of what's going on beneath the surface in their minds. So cool to me. So I'm going to continue to psychoanalyze Kwame Christian <laughs> and to dive deeper there. So like your parents obviously held high expectations to you. Is it just that you want them to think so much of you that you've constantly wanted to achieve more for yourself? Or is there anything intrinsically that kind of has driven you to, to get to where you are today? I think it's a, it's a little bit of both. I'm, I'm a naturally competitive guy. Um, so I've always wanted to achieve uh, a lot for me. I think the benefit of having the the parents who were such high achievers as well is that they helped to lay the foundation. They they gave me a clear path uh, through which I could channel that competitive spirit. Um, so I think regardless of who my parents were, well, I guess genetically that calls into question some things, but you know, regardless of what they wanted me to do, I would have been pushing hard in, in some area. But because they achieved so much academically, it, I think they led the, uh, kind of blazed the trail and told me, all right, you're going to hustle, you're going to work hard, but it's going to be in school first, and then you can do whatever you want. Okay, and then, so you graduated from law school, you passed the bar. Um, where did you go from there? Did you immediately start your own uh, law firm, or did you go join someone else's firm for a short time? Yeah, so I, um, I did uh, public policy work for the first year, and so the, what, what I was thinking was, um, I would start my own firm upon uh, graduating, and um, I was president of the uh, the Black Law Student Association there. And one of the uh, our professors was running a she was director of a public policy research institute that's associated with the law school, and so she knew my background with uh, public policy and law. And um, I was really chill after school. I was re I was burnt out because it I just went straight through. Like I graduated college a, a quarter early and then started working, so it was like a summer extended, and then straight into law school with a dual degree and then passing the bar exam. I was, 
like my competitive fire was pretty low <laughs> at that time. So I was like, ah, if a job comes, it comes. If not, I'll start my own thing, whatever. I wasn't thinking about it. And so she came with that offer and I was like, oh yeah, why not? I, so I didn't apply, I got it. So I, I did that public policy work um, and it was all right. I knew it wasn't in line with my passion, but at that time I was so burnt out that it was chill, you know, it was a, I understood what my schedule was going to be. It was really flexible. I could start playing tennis again, hanging out, playing video games. Like, what? Let me live this life for a little bit. <laughs> and um, so my wife, she's a, she's a doctor now, uh, but at the time she still had one more year of med school left. So my thought process was, I, I don't know where I'm going to be with her residency situation. So I'm not even going to push too hard now because I know I could be upended and, and going somewhere else. And so um, once she graduated med school and then started residency, um, she got into OSU and now she's a doctor at OSU. And so this was in um, 2014. Yeah, at that time, 2014. That's when her residency started and she started to make more than me. And so I'm not a chauvinistic guy, I'm just co competitive. So anybody who is close to me, I will start looking at them and I'm like, I want to beat you at that thing that you're good at. <laughs> and so once Whitney started making more than me, I'm like, okay, it's time to get back on the grind. And um, applied to a few jobs, the market was tight, didn't work out, so uh, that's when, at, what was I, 25 at the time? I started, started the law firm and started taking on clients and building that on the side while still working full time at uh, the Kerwin Institute doing public policy work. Speaking of beating people that you're close to at uh, things that they're good at, I'm going to have to start doing a few tennis lessons with you. Yes. My girlfriend plays tennis, and I haven't beaten her once, and I really need to work on that. <laughs> yeah, so we'll do some quid pro quo. So you teach me wrestling, and I'll teach you tennis. Deal. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, you can't fix genetics, though. It's, <laughs> it's not in the cards for you, buddy. <laughs> but uh, so let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, as you first started that law firm out, how'd you go about getting your first clients? Man, it was tough. I, you know, you think you can do these things, but <laughs> it's a different skill. It's just a completely different skill. Because when it comes to like going through school, I mean, uh, law school is really great at teaching you theories and uh, concepts and stuff, but they don't do, they don't do business. They don't teach you the business of law. And so I had to really teach myself a lot about the entrepreneurial side. And the way I taught myself was through, um, through like podcasts, you know? And so what's interesting is that my approach to building my law firm, you'll see it, it jives more with what you're seeing with the millennial style online business approach um, versus the traditional law firm approach. Staying really lean, really mobile, and, and flexible, and being as convenient as possible for my, for my clients, uh, because that was the business education that I gave to myself. Um, but w what I had to do was I had to align myself with people who had more experience. I, since I was young, I, I realized law is an old, old man's game, really. Um, and I say that intentionally, old man's game, because that's the bias that people have about what an attorney is supposed to look like. And I was not old <laughs> at the time. So I, I relied on what I call borrowed experience. I started reaching out to as many mentors as possible, listening from them, and just saying, listen, I have all this education, but it's not doing anything for me. Show me. And so it takes a lot of humility to just recognize and, and be willing to say, I don't know what I'm doing. 
help me through it. And people are really receptive once they genuinely, once they realize that you genuinely want to listen. You're not somebody who's, who's wanting something tangible from them. I just want their mind. And so um, reaching out to mentors and aligning myself with um, an incubator program through the uh, Columbus Bar Association helped a lot. Uh, because my biggest fear was committing malpractice. I'm like, I, I don't want to lose this license. I studied so hard to get this, to pass this bar. And so I wanted to always make sure I had somebody that was above me who I could turn to if I, if I had questions and offer me that guidance. How common is that, the malpractice by accident? Oh, so this, this is one thing that my mentor told me that made me feel a lot ba- better. He's like, you you're going to malpractice <laughs> you're going oh. to commit malpractice the thing well, there is there you go yeah <laughs> he's, that makes you feel better next he's, time. <laughs> he's like the thing is you just need to make sure that you're able to minimize the damage of it because with law th- this is the thing that's scary about it um it's easy to malpractice. You can malpractice by accident. You know, I could just, I could be talking on my phone to a client. I could say the client's name and then I could mention the other par- party's name and not realize somebody's behind me. I, I violated confidentiality. And so he's like, <laughs> just make sure it's not a, like a flagrant mistake. And so just recognizing that, okay, it's going to happen. They don't expect you to be perfect um, made me feel better. And it also made me realize too that you can commit malpractice. Okay, so let me let me pause with this. You you should not commit malpractice. Okay, but the thing is, do we need a disclaimer here? Though? <laughs> yeah. Like a, a detail where, where Mike's gonna talk <laughs> real fast. Like <laughs> none of these things that like Kwame says can ever be called like it's for the Exactly. I see your eyes opening wide. Like we're your clients. What have you done to us? But um, here's the thing: when it comes to like malpractice. Um, it's you get in trouble because somebody tells on you because it hurt them. And so if you have a really close relationship with your clients and you make a mistake and you simply talk to them and say, hey, I made this mistake, let me fix it. Yeah, sure, Kwame, fix it. Okay, cool. Now problems ensue when it's like you make a mistake and you're too afraid of having that difficult conversation and you try to fix it behind their back and then things go wrong and they're like, what have you done to me? Now now you're in trouble. Now you get sued. And so teaching me how to insulate myself through good customer service uh, was important. I, I tell you, like the, the bar exam was really tough. There was only one part that I scored perfect on and that was um, ethics because I, <laughs> I was terrified of it. Uh, but... Yeah, regardless of how good you know the, those rules, um, it's, it's going to happen. And, and there, there are resources that they have. I was calling the Supreme Court like every month, <laughs> every month to say, hey, can I do this? Can I do this? Because even with advertising, there, there are rules about the way that I can advertise as an attorney. My, the name of my law firm, the Christian Law Office, I had three options for the name of my firm. Kwame Christian Attorney at Law, the Christian Law Firm, or the Christian Law Office. Because, per the rules of ethics, I have to have my last name in the firm. And so that's why every law firm that you know is some last name or combination of last names. So people often say, hey, um, is this a, like a religious thing? I was like, no, I'll take atheist money too. But, <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, I am restricted to have uh, in, in certain ways practicing. And that's, an- that's another reason why I wanted to start something else on the side because consulting is like the wild, wild west. I can market how I want and I can, they're, they're not those same restrictions. So you can consult in the law hemisphere but not have to follow those same ethics privileges? 
No. So I, I, unauthorized practice of law is when you are starting to like render legal opinions, give legal opinions to people or give legal advice. And so when I started the American Negotiation Institute, I did that because the podcast had such a wide reach that I was going to get people from other states. And I'm only licensed uh, federally and then in Ohio. And, um, and so what I did with the negotiation consulting that I do with uh, my other clients is I, I make it abundantly clear up front, like this is not the practice of law. I'm not giving you legal advice. I'm just walking you through like this business deal, giving you some uh, negotiation strategies and psychological principles to keep in mind as you try to get what you want. But I will not be providing legal advice. Man, let's talk a little bit about that, about the negotiation side of your businesses, businesses, right? Yep. <laughs> How many we got? Um, but so it started with the podcast, right? Mm-hmm. So let's talk about like when you first start the podcast and why did you start the podcast? Yeah. So I've, I've been a podcast junkie for a long time. So I knew I was going to start one. I just didn't know what it was. But then when I started it, I was like, this was a kind of obvious what, <laughs> what it was going to be. And so my, my love for negotiation started in law school. Um, and I, I stumbled upon it by accident. I ended up taking a negotiation class simply because it fit into my schedule, and then I fell in love. And um, OSU has the top-ranked dispute resolution program in the country. Their law school does. And uh, we have a negotiation competition where you and a partner get to represent a fictional client and, uh, and negotiate with the other side and try to get a deal. It was really cool. And so after I took this class, it was just a week long, but I was just obsessed. Could not stop studying and learning about it. And uh, my partner and I, we just decided kind of on a whim, like, hey, let's, let's, let's do this. Let's try the competition. And so there were 55 other teams, and we made it through to the finals and won, which was cool. And then because of that, we got to represent the the school at the American Bar Association regional competition in Ottawa, Ontario, and uh, we won that competition too. And then we made it to the, because of that, we made it to the national competition representing our region, and we made it to the semis, and that was in New Orleans. And so after that, I just could not get enough. And so I was like, I need to figure out a way to make this my thing. Uh, but I kept telling myself this, this lie, and this is one of those self-limiting beliefs that we have. It's like, People are not going to take you seriously as a negotiation consultant unless you have significant amount of years um, as of experience as an attorney. So the thought process was get 10 years under your belt as a lawyer, even though you think it's a little bit boring, and then you can start the consulting firm. But then I was like, well, like screw that. Why not? <laughs> like why not? Um, you know, I, I I started to I realized that you like people will believe what you say about yourself until you give them a reason not to. And I knew, that sounds like, oh man, Kwame is borderline charlatan. But the thing is, I knew that just given my background and what I've been able to accomplish in negotiation uh, through school and through as an attorney, even though it was a limited amount of years, I knew that I had the capacity to do this. I knew it. And so I started the podcast as a way of just marketing it. So it's like, all right, let's incorporate, let's throw up the podcast, let's see what happens. And so it's, it started off slow. You know, y'all are podcasters, you know, at the first, the first few episodes, you're talking to nobody, maybe your mom, you know, and so. I don't even think my mom. <laughs> <laughs> he never taught her how to subscribe. <laughs> oh my gosh. See, I took my mom's phone. I was like, this is how it happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, we went to, uh, you know, we, went, we started going to uh, all of the uh, Apple stores in town. Yeah. And just subscribing to all the machines <laughs> around the Apple. 
Dude. They are big fans of Conquering Columbus. You'd be surprised. <laughs> I had a friend who uh, actually went and took it a step further and gave himself five star reviews on all the Apple stores. <laughs> I I was blown away because I looked at his podcast. I was like, how in the world do you have eighty reviews? And then he just did that sinister laugh. John Apple, Sam Apple. <laughs> not even creative with the names. Right. Like, oh, it was terrible. It was awesome. I'm sorry. No, it's all good. <laughs> but, yeah, talking to your mom and, you know, maybe yeah. your girlfriend or your wife. Yeah. But um, slowly but surely, it started to grow. And then I got an email in July. I started it in May, last May, and then I got an email. And I just assumed this was a scam. I thought somebody was trying to take the money that I don't have. Um, it's, it was this long email saying, hey, I, I'm, I listen to your podcast. I like it. I'm an attorney. I need your help. It's this bankruptcy deal. I'm like, what? Okay, well, let me send a, like a, I'll send a, a, a polite email back and search it and, and feel this out. And then he's like, all right, cool. Let's do a call. I was like, hmm. These frauds don't typically call you. Okay. And so we had a great conversation, and um, he, he hired me to walk him through a, a multi-million dollar deal. It was, I think it was five parties. It was like $1.4 million, one, three, like $3.5 million at stake. They, the, the five parties wanted a total of 3.5, but we only had 1.4 to go around. And so he's like, how this matters. Story of my work. life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, oh, see, I, I feel at home here with this negotiation. <laughs> but after a, a couple of weeks, we were able to get a deal. And what was really funny was um, as I was talking to this guy, he told me in the conversation, he's like, I have, um, I have 28 years of, of legal experience, but this negotiation piece is, is just really difficult for me. And I was just sitting there thinking to myself, I was like, this guy does not even know that I have only been on this earth for 27 years. <laughs> but really, it's the, the thing is, and going back to that self-limiting belief, I thought that people would say, oh, you're too young, you don't have the requisite experience. But people don't really care about your age. When they ask about your age, what they're really asking is, do you have the competence to help me in what I, I need help with? And the answer to that was yes, even though I was a lot younger than him. And so that gave me the confidence to keep pushing forward and, and, and move forward with the Negotiation Institute while still doing the law firm. Yeah, and talk about that podcast, Negotiate Anything. It'll be linked up in the show notes, guys. You should definitely go check it out. There actually happens to be an episode with uh, Josh and I on there. Yes. So uh, go check that out when you get a moment. But I won the negotiation in case anybody wants to. <laughs> I, was about to tell, I was about to ask Kwame. I was going to say, you know, I've been trying to negotiate, you know, Josh, give me a little more money on my salary. Like, what's the best way to get him to give me just, like, the most money? Every time like, he asks, he actually loses money by the end of the conversation. <laughs> I was going to say you could just have a wrestling competition, see who, see who wins. He would like that too much. He's <laughs> in his old age. Um, but, all right, so now, now that we're off track completely, um, let's get back on topic. Let's, let's kind of talk about all the things you have going on today aside from the podcast. Are you, are you starting to more heavily, like, how, I guess, how are you allocating your time throughout the day, especially with, like, talks at Innovate New Albany and things like that? Yeah, it's, you oh, know, That's it's, the only thing we haven't talked about. We, you just mentioned it, but we, we haven't even mentioned that yet. Yeah. It's, it's Innovate New Albany. It's TEDx a, talk coming up, right? Yep, yep. So I have a TEDx talk coming up in Dayton in, um, on, on October 20th, and, uh, I made a resolution this year. I was like, all right, every year from here on out, I need to do something that's scary. 
yeah, this this qualifies <laughs> for sure. And so it's it's tough. It's it's really one of the hardest things I've ever had to do because I present all the time around Columbus and in different states, and it's like a workshop. I show up, I have a, an outline in my head, I walk through it, and people ask questions. It's really fun. And um, but with a TED talk, it's just you up there talking. You know, people, the crowd can laugh and cheer and everything, but they're not they're not giving me any content. It needs to be all self-generated. And so the thing that's tough is like, it's not just a talk, it's a bit performative too. And I've never done anything like that on stage. So it's really pushing me outside of my comfort zone. And um, like, I'm a very, te I'm very technical in my approach to persuasion, especially given my, my psychological, uh, my background in psychology. And um, what's tough is like, I started this process with 20 pages of notes. 20 pages of notes and um, now I have cut it down to three and every time <laughs> I cut like a, a line it just a piece of me dies inside I'm like but it's so important <laughs> but uh, yeah just just having to edit myself in that way and just have like the purest version of what I consider to be my like my best idea not just good or great ideas but like the very best singular idea in all my years of doing this it is really tough and it takes a lot of discipline but the cool thing is they have an, a team and so they are the ones who <laughs> whip me into shape when i don't want to get let go of one of my darlings how did the process go of landing that did you have to present an idea off the bat mm -hmm. yeah so what i did is i, I applied um and then uh, from the people who applied they took people to do a uh, um, an audition and so the audition was interesting. And so with the, with the audition, they say, all right, you'll have three minutes to present your idea, blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay, cool, approximately three minutes. That's what I heard, <laughs> but they, they like three minutes. So I get there and they say, okay, you'll be here on stage, you know, no, no podium, no nothing, you're just talking to us. And um, here's the clock, we'll give you a 30 second warning and it'll end. And so, when I was timing my, like, what I was going to say, I was at, like, five minutes before. I was like, ah, oh, that'll be fine. And then I get there, and I realized that they're going to cut me at three. And so I had to, <laughs> I had to essentially freestyle the edit just in front of them. Um, so you but, negotiated an extra two minutes. Then. I wish. I wish. That would make the story so much better. <laughs> so I leave with ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Forty minutes later, they were wowed. But, uh, but it turned out all right. It turned out all right, and they, uh, they brought me in. And so I've been doing that since uh, for probably about a, a month and a half. Um, but yeah, it's, it's good. I, and it's like you said, with the guy who came into your course uh, to, to speak for like an hour and you're like, oh, he should do a TED talk. And it turns out he had like five. Like going through that process changes the way you'll present like forever. Um, so it's, it's, I'm looking at this almost like a training camp, <laughs> you know, yeah. a training camp for my brain. I listened to a TEDx talk the other day about how to give TEDx talks. And it was Interesting. like, yeah, or like the, the best TEDx talks thing. It was, it was like very expressive with their hand motions, like a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of emotions expressing through like all the different elements of your body and persuasion. And like, it was, it was really interesting. It was a lot of things that I'm not as a human, like I'm very like kind of monotone and, and held back. So like, it makes me when I try to present now to people, all I do is just like throw my hands out there more often, but it doesn't, <laughs> it really doesn't make any sense. I think people are just confused to think I'm trying to karate chop their yeah, face off. Say, for, for those of you out there who are always Sunny fans, he looks like Mac when he goes dancing into a room. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, not good. So unfortunately I totally interrupted and uh, crushed Josh's previous question with the TEDx talk. <laughs> so let's jump back to that. I'm sorry, Josh. Let's talk about juggling your day. I think that's where you were at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. juggling the day. Um, 
You know what's been interesting is I, through because of uh, having a, the baby now, I had to come to terms with the fact that I don't have the level of control over my life that I used to. Then that took a long time to get through. I'll be honest, like I had to, I got counseling and everything because it was it was really messing with me. Um, because you see, I'm very. I, like when we talk just in normal just in normal conversations oh it's like Kwame's really chill but now when we start to have these conversations about like the way I think you can see oh Kwame's kind of tight really 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 type A <laughs> you know um, and this has been challenging and so I've, I've instead of being really regimented with my day like I used to have my day build out like in half hour increments. So like if you look at an attorney, oh, you do that too, Josh? Yeah, I'm bad, man. Yeah. If, if I lost my calendar, I would just wander in circles. Cause I'm like, I'm like down to this, I'm like literally down to the second. I'm like, all right, I got four and a half minutes. I can take a three minute nap. I can take a 30 second water break. <laughs> yep. Oh man, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I used to live my life like a spy. Like I'd have these things like set up in my day and I would just flow through my day. It's like, oh, there's my food. I left there last night. The slow cooker is done. I'll take out my food. Everything was just perfect. And now I feel like it's chaos. I tell, I tell my wife, I feel like a clown. Like uh, I'm on a unicycle. I'm trying to juggle and people throwing pies at me. I'm like, they just, they just have no control the pies are babies <laughs> exactly <laughs> just babies coming at my face everywhere it's just so frustrating but again nothing this can be held against him in a court of law exactly <laughs> um mr christian i hear you throw babies i was like no they're thrown at me well we were I'm told we were told 30 yeah, babies I'm at your face <laughs> well yeah it's it's tough man but um I, it, it, approaching a day with more flexibility, I've, I've found that I can still be productive, but I just need to be ready to pivot, you know? Um, so instead of having that super regimented day, like the timesheet that I would print out and write in started at like 4 a.m. to 11 a.m., 11 p.m. I knew what I was going to do. And now what I do is I just have like three priorities for the day. Number one, two, three. If I get through those three, great. Now I'm gonna go up on the board and write another three. And wherever it fits in, it gets done, you know. But it's it's still I'm still being productive, but just not the way I'd like. But I, I think that's just a great um, metaphor for life, you know. It's you you never know exactly what it's going to be like, and, that, and that's why I love watching sports. You know, it's it's like you can only control what you can control. Your opponent is going to give you some stuff you didn't see coming, and you need to adjust. And um, this life change has really demonstrated <laughs> that um, you know you have to kind of go with the flow. Part of it for me is like there's like this weird sense of like I don't know if it's like adrenals that gets released or whatever. I'm I'm, I'm sure I don't have a PhD in nutrition, so I'm, I'm pronouncing everything <laughs> I'm saying wrong. But like there's these hormones that get released once you execute on like 40 of those things that you had on that day, and you're checking them off your list, and you're just hitting it spot on and getting through this timeline you know you're accomplishing so much and then like if something throws a step it does like really throw me for a loop and it's hard mm -hmm. but i've also noticed that when i throw myself like spread at curveballs and i have a day where i can't control it like that it is kind of refreshing you know it's chaotic and i don't feel like i accomplish much but it's refreshing in a sense and i had a deeper thought going into that it was really good you were gonna look at me he and likes be to like, pretend he has deep thoughts from time to time this is where like, we end up you were really gonna like it and now i totally forget what it was 
was good. Well, that's, that's a good thought. I liked it. Well, that is but that was, but <laughs> but to your but to your point though, you're you're absolutely right. So when you are checking things off your list, it's like um, it's and it's almost like a mini addiction. You know, it, it releases that bit of dopamine. It's like, oh, that felt good. Check. Oh, that felt good. Same the same bit of dopamine that we get when we check our Facebook. You know, or eat or like a piece of pie. It's the same thing. And then that feeling that you feel when you when things start to go awry. That's when you get stressed out. That's the uh, the stress hormone cortisol that does not feel good. And so so yeah, you're spot on. It's it's chemically things are happening as these things are happening in your in your life. Things are good. Dopamine. Let me get more of that. And then when things are bad, cortisol, I'm freaking out. <laughs> so now like, after we dopamine and cortisol myself, I got it. Yeah, I got my thought back. So what I was talking about is like, so like now I've kind of been thrown into a new role here at the company I work for, and it's not task-oriented anymore. It's very much like talking with people, dealing with people, managing people. And for me, I've never been able to look at sitting there and talking to someone as a task I can check off my list. And I was approaching it very transactionally. You know, it's like, Okay, you had 45 seconds. You've taken 60. You're you're past your time limit, and, and like you just can't do that anymore. You know, so and what I think it gears up for, and, and we're talking about some of the entrepreneurial things that you have going on, your entrepreneurial mindset. I think in entrepreneurship in general, there's a lot of situations like that where accomplishing something might be a four-hour talk of building a relationship with somebody, and you look back on it in five years and you realize how important it was. But in the moment, you're like, man, you are just killing my time. Right mm-hmm. now. So I'm interested to hear kind of how you're juggling your entrepreneurial activities today too, um, aside from you know everything else you have going on in your life. Yeah, it's, um, I think it just all has to come down to priorities. Um, I love playing chess. Uh, that's, that's how I got through law school, <laughs> sitting in the back of the room playing chess. Thousands, literally thousands of games of chess. And um, one thing that you'll, you, that's kind of surprising about the best chess players is that we think that they're thinking, like they, they have like 18 moves planned in advance, but you can't because you have an opponent that does random stuff. So you can't have 18 moves planned. You think about it that far in advance, you think like this could possibly happen, but as far as a plan, you don't think more than one or two moves maybe. It's like a quick combination. And so they're constantly asking themselves, what is the best move I can make for myself right now given the circumstances. And so that's some, been something that's helped me as I'm juggling all of these different things. So it's not only the two businesses and the baby, but also trying to be a decent husband at the same time, which has proven to be more and more difficult as time goes on. But I have to think of myself, think to myself, okay, it's 6.30. What is the very best thing I can do at this moment in time right now? I'm going to do that. And then once I'm done with that, I'm going to ask myself that question again, and I'm going to do that again. And so it, it decreases the amount of stress that I'm feeling because instead of thinking about all of the things I could potentially be doing, it focuses me on what I can do at this very moment. And it, it actually not only makes me feel better psychologically and emotionally, but also allows me to imp- uh, improve the way that I, I, I deal with that situation, whether it's a task or whatever, because my mind is actually focused on the task at hand. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's literally like the same approach that I've tried to develop in myself and I still struggle with. But like what it's done is it's it's decreased monumentally the amount of stress that I feel on a daily basis because when I would plan out things that far ahead, I would think days and ahead at a time, you know. And even though I was accomplishing that one thing at a time, I knew three days from then what was coming up and what had to be done and that how much time it had. Now it's like I'm giving all I got in a second, and if it doesn't work out, then I did everything I could, you know. 
So that's a really cool and interesting approach. And, yeah. And, and, and what you're saying, and w one thing I had to come to terms with too is like, and you're, you're probably doing the same thing, Josh, is like you have a, a task list that is monstrous. And you start the day as like, hey, I'm going to accomplish 85 things. And we never do it. Like, why do we put that much stuff on our plate and think we're going to do it when it never happens? Like, all that's serving to do is make you feel bad. And so really limiting the scope of our focus when it comes to productivity is, is helpful, just productivity-wise and, and just for your mind. It helps you to chill. Yeah, I definitely I can agree with that. I tend to get, I mean, I don't know how Josh possibly kept his schedule going because I get overwhelmed when I have, like, you know, a couple things on my mind. I'm like, "Ooh, this is too much. I got to read a book or something. I'm, I'm, I'm relaxed. Forget everything for a couple minutes." But um, I guess where I wanted to go with this is, what's the future look like for you? Uh, are you going to pursue more of the negotiation side of things? You want to build both your businesses together? Yeah, I've, I'm. What I'm realizing is that I, I know now very clearly that the passion is on the negotiation side more so than the law. And um, when it comes to building the business, I'm, it's a lot easier for me to be proactive on the negotiation side. And so uh, there have been a, f a couple of law firms recently that have been looking to acquire uh, like what I've been doing, like my book of business and bring me in. And I was really honest with them. I'm like, listen, um, I really like this negotiation stuff, so that's not going to stop. So I, at most I can give you is part time. So I'm willing to let go of the entrepreneurial journey with regard to the to the law firm side and join somebody else and be fed instead of having to go out and try and hunt. That takes a lot of time and energy. But then I'm still willing to put in all of my energy onto the negotiation side to see where it goes. Um, strategically, I'm what I'm hoping to do is utilize the networks that I've created um, with the podcast and going to these conferences and networking to really leverage this TED Talk as much as possible. And um, I've, I've gotten, I've, I see there have been a number of people who have had, who have been relatively unknown, doing great work behind the scenes. Um, and after a TEDx talk, it got a, a lot of traction and they, they took off. They get book deals and then it, it blows up. And so I already have that infrastructure laid where so if somebody's interested, they can now go to the podcast as a reference and there's a lot of information there that they can feed on. And so the goal is next year to have a, like an actual book published. Now this year I'm gonna finish a book just for like a summary of what we've learned through the podcast. But like a real book next year would be the goal and using this TED, TEDx talk as a platform would be huge. So that's, that's the strategy right now. Yeah, negotiations kind of, I mean, maybe it's been for a while, but it's definitely a hot topic right now with, I believe it's Chris Voss who recently came mm -hmm. out with his book and uh, a lot of other just topics that have popped up around the scenes and it's become something that people are really starting to realize the value behind. And I think part of it too, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this take, what I learned from reading that book is he kind of takes negotiation and, and approaches it into like an almost math mathematical, theoretical perspective. And I think that gives people confidence that they can approach it too because, you know, a lot of times it was just thought of from my perspective is like a natural talent either you're born with it or you're not you can have the emotional intelligence and work with people and, and be quick on your feet or you're not mm -hmm. there's more to it right and and Voss was on the show I don't know if you checked out that episode it's an awesome sh episode because he's, he's oh, really to. cool yeah. um, so the cool thing uh, for the listeners about Chris Voss is that he didn't come from the typical world of academia that uh, most negotiation experts come from um, he came from the field he's a former ho FBI hostage negotiator and so the, the term that he uses is tactical empathy. And so it's like, whoa, tactical, that seems really, that's really tough, that's really cool. Empathy, wow, I used to think that was fluffy and nebulous, but now you've given it legs, <laughs> you know, now it's cool. I'm cool with being emotional. Uh, but 
yeah, he, he really approaches it from a different way where he's more aggressive than a typical academic would be because he's like in, the, and the reason for the name of the book is um, if I have, if you have eight hostages, I can't just take four and be cool with that. <laughs> he's like, he's like, I need to get. That ain't bad. <laughs> <Not> bad. <laughs> four of them. What do you want from me? I was like, oh, that makes sense. I see it now. He's like, I come from a world where I need to get 100% of what I want. I need you to like and trust me in the process. And at the end of it, I need you to agree to peaceably be taken to jail. It's like, wow, okay, Thanks. I'm listening. <laughs> and so, um, so yeah, I, I think you're right. I think the, the audience is gonna be really receptive. And um, what's interesting too, strategically, is uh, with my podcast, I constantly survey the audience, constantly surveying them. And the words that are, are, are coming up a lot are confidence and conflict. So the, uh, the, the title of this presentation is going to be uh, How to Find Confidence in Conflict. Because right now, more than ever, especially given the, the most recent election, people don't really know how to talk to each other. We just know how to scream and accuse or run away from fights. And so really approaching it in general, not on a, uh, from a narrow negotiation lens, but just in general, how to handle difficult conversations and sneak in the fact that these are uh, well-known negotiation techniques, I think is, uh, is going to be good. And I think the audience is going to be receptive because we're trying to figure out how do we have these conversations instead of of, you know, <laughs> either being a killer, be killed. Right. Yeah, I know. I definitely think that's a really important topic, especially today, like you said. Um, but as we start to kind of wind down here, Kwame, Josh, you sounded like you might have a question over there. No, I didn't have a question. All I was to say, I, I think it's awesome. I'm looking forward to it because I think I've had more difficult conflict conversations in the past six months I've had in my entire life. And one part that really gets me is you get in there and you don't have so one one thing that i find a lot of calmness in is if i go into something knowing that i'm properly prepared like anybody in the world like that's how you can find a kind of find your mediums but for me when i go into them situations and i don't feel like i have any tools that i know are going to be useful your emotions start going wild you start feeling like you don't know what to hold on to and then say things that you're not paying attention to or something you know so it, it, it's cool that you're developing these tactics and putting them out there that people can kind of walk into and say okay I'm going through some fire, but you know I got a fire suit. You can use the tagline if you want. Exactly. I'm getting that. I got I'm getting that. Do that, <laughs> after you, do that after you drop the mic on the set. That's stuff. right. Um, but so one of our last questions we always like to ask on the podcast focuses around our theme of the show: live uncomfortably. And uh, I think I got a bit of an idea about how you live uncomfortably, but I uh, wanted to ask babies you. Babies thrown in his face. Right, yeah, too seriously. many babies flying around everywhere, but. Uh, I uh, wanted to ask you, what do you think of the phrase, and how does it apply to your life? No, I think that's brilliant. Here's the thing about living uncomfortably. The, the thing is, there's nothing that's been, gr that's been fantastic or, or life-changing or, or world-changing that has come out of comfort. You know, you might think, of, think about the most the techno technological advances we've had, like the most notable ones. You know, Edison with his light bulb, it took him like a thousand times, a thousand failures. Um, you have, you think about Steve Jobs, it's like, oh, his life, was, that, that went really well. But he had that whole coup at his company and, and he had a bunch of failed products before the iPhone really kicked off, you know, and the iPod. And so the thing is, in order for us to really make change in ourselves, we, we need to be uncomfortable. It's like, why, if I'm comfortable, why would I change? Let me just chill. <laughs> Watch TV, play Halo. Do you, do you all play Halo? I don't. I don't. I do play chess, though. All right. So we'll play really sometimes. 
Yeah, after I had after we had the baby, I was like, man, I need something to feel good. Let me get this Xbox and <laughs> play Halo. I'm sitting here playing online live. I know these are children, but I don't care. People come but, up like, you got an Xbox? You're like, it's the kids. Like, it's, exactly. it's, it's the baby. It's the size it's the of the controller. He's two years old. It's his Xbox. Yeah, he learns quick. He's a Christian. All right, get out of my house. That's right. Get out of my house. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, you have to push yourself. And the thing is, I recognize that there have been leaps that I've made in the past year from having the baby. I'm like, I am way out of my comfort zone. And it's like, I think about it all the time. It's like, if I could go back, would I say, hey, no, wait, no babies. Let me, how about we wait about three, four years? Actually, you know, as difficult as, as it's been, I'd say no, because the advances that we've been able to make as a, as a couple and the, just the advances I've been able to make cognitively as a result of this and the soul searching that I had to do made me know myself, get to know myself in a whole new way. So I think it's important if, if we're not um, in a situation where we're going through something difficult to actually intentionally put ourselves into uncomfortable situations in order to, to get that growth that we want to see. Yeah, I think that's a great answer, Kwame. I really enjoyed having you on the show today. Uh, you got any last words for our listeners before we let you go here? No, I just keep listening to this show. This is this is one of my favorite ones out there, so keep it up. I appreciate the opportunity to come on. Yeah, thanks fun. a lot, Kwame. We appreciate it. And you guys go check out Kwame's podcast as well. It's called Negotiate Anything, and we will have it linked up in the show notes. Along with that TEDx talk. Along with that TEDx talk when it comes out. And uh, thanks again for listening, Conquerors. We hope you enjoyed the episode, and we'll talk to you next week. If you guys enjoyed that episode, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitchers, whatever your favorite podcast app is. And go ahead and click that subscribe button. It'll make sure you never miss another episode of Conquering Columbus. And before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to say thanks to all of our incredible sponsors one more time. And that starts with our friends over at AWH. For those of you who haven't heard of AWH, they are a digital product consulting, user experience, and software development firm. And with over 22 years of experience, AWH collaborates with a variety of clients to drive desired business outcomes through great digital products. To find out more, check out awh.net and let them know Conquering Columbus sent you. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout the state. For more information, head on over to sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them, there's a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more or check out a free trial at gofmx.com. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know my head kicked in in the beginning but I'll find a way to survive I'll find a way to get the job done yeah there's a little doubt but you know what once again I think of that guy in my ear I think about stepping up to the stage I think about the challenge like I've lost sometimes but I've won more than I've lost and so like I bet on me any day choosing greatness greatness doesn't choose you you know you have to choose it and yeah, it's hard.
I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.